attention, attention all personnel, it's MASHCAST! Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that analyzes and celebrates episode by episode the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, General Robert Iron Guts Kelly, and joining us this week in the VIP tent is returning VIP General Chuck Coletta. Hi, Chuck. Hi, Rob. At ease. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So <laughs> I'm always happy to be recording with you, and I'm happy that you're back for season three of MASH. Oh, me too. This is a good episode. Oh, it sure is. Let's get right to it. Again, it's uh, episode 21 from season three. Big Mac, the original air date, February 25th, 1975, written by Lawrence Marks and directed by Don Weiss. While the doctors are in surgery, Raider gets some amazing news. General Douglas MacArthur is coming to visit the 4077th. This sends the camp into a frenzy of preparation, except for Hawkeye and Trapper, who could care less. Frank starts burning books so that Big Mac won't see, quote, some of the smut that's read around here. Hawkeye and Trapper's apathy turns to disgust that the camp has to be all spiffy just because MacArthur is coming. Raider sets up the VIP tent with red, white, and blue bunting. Frank and Margaret are so impressed at the layout that they end up having sex there, with Margaret imagining MacArthur in Frank's place. An <laughs> aide to MacArthur arrives, Colonel Whiteman, Graham Jarvis, who gives the 477 the sequence of events that will take place for the visit. As usual, Hawkeye and Trapper refuse, refuse to take any of this seriously. They do make a suggestion that they could perform an operation for MacArthur to follow. Whiteman likes the idea, and Frank volunteers for the surgery. Hawkeye agrees and offers they perform, quote, a hysterectomy on Major Burns. After a camp group picture, everyone goes into the mock arrival ceremony to prepare. Radar, playing MacArthur, greets everyone. Frank offers up a souvenir album, but is not pleased to see Hawkeye has it filled with dirty pictures. A fight breaks out, but then over the PA, an announcement comes that Big Mac is on his way. He'll be at the 477th in seconds. They have just enough time to get into formation where they see MacArthur's motorcade arrive. But instead of what they were told would happen, the motorcade doesn't even stop. They do a drive-by. As Henry, Frank, and everyone else picks their jaws up off the compound, Big Mac sees an interesting sight. Klinger, dressed as the Statue of Liberty, complete with burning torch. He gives this show of patriotism a hearty salute and drives off. All right, so Chuck, uh, Big Mac, I think you're in agreement with me that this is one of the funniest episodes, probably certainly of season three, but maybe of the whole show. Oh, sure. It, it really is. It really captures the, the tone, especially for those first three years with McLean Stevenson and uh, Wayne Rogers on. Them. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I like about this episode, and this is not to disparage other shows that don't do this, but I like that the entire episode is focused on this one plot line, which is MacArthur coming. Uh, there isn't like a, a you know, a, a separate B plot that's not connected to, I mean, there are some other strands and we'll get into those as we go on, but I like that it's all about this one thing. MacArthur is coming. And to give people who don't know a little bit of historical context uh, to this episode, General Douglas MacArthur was an enormously popular figure in American culture. And at the time, the time that Harry, later on, President Harry Truman would actually fire MacArthur. And that's a, a detail that the show would actually chronicle in a later episode to help give you the sort of sense of the timeline of the show. Truman was desperately unpopular. And it was everyone was convinced that he was never going to win a second term. Uh, in fact, there was the whole Dewey Beach Truman thing. That's where that headline, you know, that famous photo comes from. So when Truman fired MacArthur, most people were on MacArthur's side. 
Uh, and yet, you know, I mean, Harry Truman being president, being the commander in chief, had the authority to do such a thing. But MacArthur was a hugely popular figure. Oh, oh that's right. Um, MacArthur had come from this long storied military family. His father had been a world war, I'm sorry, a civil war hero. He had been a world war one hero. He was the top of his class graduate at West Point. Um, he had actually retired from the army before world war two and, and came back to lead the, uh, the Pacific theater. And he was the one who was there when they signed this Japanese surrender, uh, at, at the end of world war two. And I think it's hard for people to imagine just how enormously popular he was. Everybody knew him. He had a distinct look, uh, and it was just uh, uh, a, sh- a shock. There was a, a congressional investigation when he was fired that the president had the power to do it, but um, you know that was a shock to the nation. The Congress said. And I have to think part of it was that he was portrayed in a bunch of films, and once by Gregory Peck. I mean, of course, if you're getting if you're getting played by Gregory Peck, that's going to help you help ensconce you in legend because you've got a legend playing you already, you know. Uh, but I mean, yeah, he was a hugely he was the biggest deal. I mean, of the two most famous generals coming out of World War II, Patton and MacArthur. Of course, Patton didn't survive World War II; he died right at the end of it. Ironically, sort of during during peacetime, actually, not even during the war. But MacArthur lived on and, again, became this this huge, huge figure and lived on for many years. And I know that isn't his – I think uh, we talked about this uh, beforehand. Isn't his – his son is still around, right? His son, right. his famous – somewhat famous son? Right, his son. Um, the, the, I guess the family name – MacArthur's father was Arthur MacArthur. And his son is Arthur MacArthur IV. Tough name. Um, and his son apparently – changed his name back in the 60s and has lived uh, in anonymity. Uh, Hmm. MacArthur's wife actually uh, died in the 1990s. She was like 101 when she finally died. Um, And I just want to mention, too, for the people who aren't as familiar with him, and I have to admit, I didn't know about as much about MacArthur as I probably should have before we were going to talk. So I watched the American Experience documentary. Wow. uh, Which is is really good. It's four hours long. It's narrated by Charles Winchester himself, David Ogden Spears. It all comes back. It all ties in. And and the only one thing I wanted to mention about that is why Truman fired him was MacArthur was very upfront about his political leanings. He was very staunchly conservative Republican. He did not like Roosevelt and the New Deal. And he did not really believe that the president was the commander in chief. That hmm. he should, he was the head of the army or, you know, one of the top generals. And so he should be making these decisions. And his feelings were out in the public. And so Truman just, you know, said, well, that's enough. I'm the president. And, and just to, just to wrap that up is back in the thirties, um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said that MacArthur was one of the two most dangerous people in America because they saw him as this, I don't want to say a would be dictator, but someone who saw himself as a great man of history who would not listen to others. He was very vain and was a great general, but he had a lot of flaws. Wow. I mean, you know, and Roosevelt would know, having dealt with some dangerous people <laughs> during his uh, tenure as president, his long tenure as president. That's that's amazing. I, I have to wonder if the film um, Seven Days in May, which is one of my favorite movies, which actually Ryan and I covered on Film and Water a bunch of years ago, which is about a very, very popular decorated general deciding to basically pull a coup over who he perceives as a weak sister 
uh, president doesn't have. I mean, it's re, it's based on a book, and then the screenplay was by Rod Serling of all people. Uh, I have to wonder if th- they didn't slightly take that idea from the people that were in the popular culture at the time. Not saying that in any way that MacArthur really planned anything like that, but if you if you're as you're talking about, if MacArthur really thought that he was above the president in some respects, I could see you then extrapolating and saying, okay, well, let's do this paranoid, well, not paranoid, <laughs> do this thriller about a general that decides, you know what, I should be in the White House because uh, I, I know better. I, so I have to wonder if that it didn't come from that. Right. You know, he, MacArthur, I believe, actually considered running against Roosevelt in 44. Wow. So, wow. You know, I mean, you know, while he had been a general in, the, in, the, uh, in World War II, so he was a, an extremely enormous figure on the culture. He loomed large. So you can see why he's a good topic for all of these characters have some connection to him and they have some sort of feelings about him. And he gives them a lot of opportunities for a lot of little subplots. Yeah. In the opening scene, when Radar gets the call, uh, in fact, he is so, and I don't know whether this is on purpose or just a mistake and, you know, it's just a, the, the vagaries of putting together an episode. But when Radar gets the call, he gets so excited that he runs out the door onto the compound. And then the very next shot is radar running into surgery to tell Henry, well, wait a minute. Why is radar running out into the compound to run into the OR? He should have made a heart. He should have, uh, it, we, we never quite see exactly how that office is laid out because of course the fourth wall of radar's office is rarely seen, but basically the door to the surgery would be, I guess, just to the right of the exit door. I believe, I believe that because post-op is the door behind radar and then you've got the door to leave and go out on the compound. And then I believe the door slightly to the right would be the surgery door would be the go to the, the, again, even after 11 years, they were never quite, I was never quite certain where all these things fit together because they never exactly showed, they never had someone character walk from like post-op to radar's office to surgery or anything like that. But I believe that it is sort of a mistake is that, Radar runs into the compound and then back into surgery for no good reason. I guess maybe, again, if we want to no prize it, it's because he was nervous. That's right. <laughs> so, and then that leads to the next scene where Henry talks about how excited he is about what's going to happen. And I love that he's already sort of eyeing his career and that he's like realizes I'm going to be the big man in Bloomington, Illinois, because I get to meet with, with, <laughs> with MacArthur, which is really, I mean, it's, it's very mercenary, but you know, Henry's so sweet that you kind of forgive it, but it's like, that's, that's his main takeaway is that after meeting MacArthur, he's going to be famous and he will get to ch- kind of charge more as a physician. For tonsillectomy, you know. <laughs> tonsillectomy. It's going to be 85 bucks a tons. Yeah. He's very, very excited about that. And again, I, like you said, all the characters have different reactions, uh, which is, which is again, very, very interesting of again, taking this one idea and then spreading it out through all the characters. Uh, and then, so then the next scene is in the, in the, um, the mess tank, excuse me, where, uh, Colonel Whiteman, uh, MacArthur's assistant comes and he's preps them on, uh, what's going to happen. And the actor, this is the only guest actor in the show is, uh, well, there's, there is, there is, uh, MacArthur himself. We'll get to that. Graham Jarvis, a longtime character actor, not a name you know, but you know the face. He has over, uh, what is that? 139 credits on IMDb, passed away. In 2003, he was in films like A New Leaf, Misery, What's Up, Doc, Mr. Mom. He was on uh, Six Feet Under, Seventh Heaven, virtually any TV show from the 70s and 80s. He was a regular on Fame, Too Close for Comfort, Travis on Trapper John. So, I mean, if you ever saw television in the 70s or 80s, you saw this guy. 
Right. Uh, he, he was, was always, always that. Uh, yeah, he was always that, like that uh, sort of what he is here, this persnickety bureaucrat or official or yeah. always kind of pissed off. And um, I, I, uh, I mentioned uh, to you when, before when we were talking is that he's in a movie called um, Cold Turkey with uh, uh, Bob Newhart and Dick Van Dyke. Um, and it's really good. It's an anti-smoking movie. Norman uh, Lear. By Norman Lear. And yeah. he is extremely good as this John Birch Society wannabe who wants to sort of take over the policing of this little town. That's a fun movie with an amazing cast. I love the cast in that movie. It's all filled with like comedy actors in tiny little parts and things like that. I haven't seen it in decades. I need to revisit it. That's yeah. He's, he's fun in this. I, and I mentioned this in, I believe what is the um, uh, Iron Guts Kelly episode is I've always, always kind of amazed that when you have like a big general like this, whether it's MacArthur or in that case, Robert Iron Guts Kelly, their, their assistant is a colonel. Right. Mm. And it's like, doesn't that seem a little bit beneath someone who has achieved the rank of a colonel to essentially be this guy's secretary? You know what I mean? It's a, now I understand yeah. that, of course, if you're if you're helping out a general, you have you have to have access to top secret information and confidential stuff that you can't give to like a private. But it just seems like, wow, you've made it all the way to be a, to be a colonel in the United States Army. And you're basically a glorified helper. That just seems kind of, a, you know. Uh, undignified, but of course, I, maybe working for MacArthur is probably the most prestigious job you could get. So maybe Colonel Whiteman was perfectly fine with it. That's right, and yeah, that's that's right. You know, I I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, but he is a glorified assistant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's doing the you know, I mean, and and the the scene in the mess tent is so kind of silly because the way they have to react to MacArthur where they say, you know, don't uh, don't speak to him unless spoken to first. And when you're responding, always say him by his full name. Yes, General MacArthur. Yeah, thank you, General MacArthur. No, thank you, General MacArthur. And Hawkeye and Trapper, of course, are having none of this nonsense and they're just making fun of it throughout the whole thing. I love when Colonel when Colonel Whiteman says, now they'll talk about inferior grade officers. And Hawkeye and Trapper's like, oh, that must be us. He's talking about us. <laughs> and, uh, and then if they do the bit about where uh, – Margaret's father served under MacArthur in the cavalry. And he's like, Margaret's father was a horse. Did you know that? And it's just, and, and Colonel Whiteman is just sort of standing there watching and slightly shaking his head a little like, is the, I, you almost think if you really want to like peer into his brain, you're like, he's probably thinking, is this really the camp that MacArthur's coming to visit? And then at, at one point when it gets so silly, uh, he kind of snaps in and he's like, to proceed. You know, he kind of like takes control and then, then he reiterates, you know, because of your outstanding record is a great honor. That is why you're, you're coming, you know, he's coming here to do all this. And so I like that, that you get to a visiting colonel. He's probably just like, what is this madhouse that's going on here? That's right. And, and you can tell, you know, MacArthur would be everything that Hawkeye, especially would be against. Yeah. No, you know, pro-military. No, there's nothing wrong with them. I'm not saying anti-military, but this authoritarian figure mm -hmm. who sort of doesn't consider the, the troops. And, you know, Hawkeye wants him to see, you know, what he wants him to see them as they really are. Yeah. Not this glorified, you know, version. Um, and you can see why MacArthur and Hawkeye would not get along. Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. And so following that scene is a scene with Klinger. And uh, Henry, where Klinger is in his best uh, pink, uh, pink dress, pink number with a, like a big broad rimmed hat and some shoes. And this scene was always cut in syndication. I never saw the scene until I got the DVDs. And even though it's a very silly scene, of course it is because it's got Klinger and drag. Uh, and you understand Henry's position because Henry is like, I am not letting you visit with General MacArthur. That is not that's not, there's no way I'm going to let that happen. 
um, Jamie Farr, once again, like he did a couple episodes previous for Aid Station, really brings it because um, he really he really has a, a nice dollop of pathos in this scene is that it's like Klinger is who he is and he wants to um, he wants to sort of present himself as who he is to MacArthur and he's not going to get the chance. And it's really, you kind of do feel sorry, you know, he's being ridiculous, but you also do feel sorry for him that he is going to be just completely excluded out of the camp because, of course, Henry can't allow Klinger to dress the way he is in front of MacArthur. No, oh, that would have been international headlines if, yeah. you know, if Klinger comes out in his evening gown uh, with MacArthur, I mean, that would be over all across the world. And this is his big chance to get out of the army. Yeah, uh, and he's not going to get it. <laughs> no, he's not going to get it. And he said it's it's a really nice scene for yeah. for Jamie Farr. Uh, I should mention there is another scene actually between those two where they announced to everybody on the camp that MacArthur is coming. And this is this this features this episode features the third and final appearance of Loudon Wainwright the third as Captain Spaulding. And in fact, Henry asks Captain Spaulding to uh, make a, write a little song uh, for the occasion. And again, it's, it's kind of like it was in the, the previous episode of Spalding is that Spalding, uh, obviously named after presumably, uh, Groucho Marx's character, uh, in, the, in the, what is it? Night <laughs> of the Opera, I believe. Um, hooray for Captain Spalding is that Spalding is so clearly a character from the sixties and seventies transplanted into a 1950s camp. I mean, it's like, you know, all of a sudden like what's Bob Dylan doing here? <laughs> it's kind of in the That's middle right. of all this. <laughs> Well, you know, they mention uh, somewhere in the episode, they mentioned Kate Smith, who was a popular right. singer in the 30s, 40s and into the 50s. And I looked up um, Bob. I'm sorry, uh, not Bob Dylan. Uh, Pete Bob Seeger and the Weavers were okay. still having hits in the early 50s. And they were doing things like on top of old Smokey that was hitting mm-hmm. the charts. They weren't doing anything this political. No. Um, <laughs> mainstream at that time, you know. So he yeah. is a, he does stick out. Yeah. Uh, and it was something I read this on Ken Levine's uh, blog, Ken Levine, a writer for MASH in the later seasons, is that they asked at some point they asked Larry Gelbart, like, why is why did Loudon, Loudon Wainwright, the third, who's not an actor, he later became one. He has other credits now. But and this was his early the first uh, sort of acting role he ever did. Why was he even on the show? And Larry Gelbart simply said he wanted to try something different. That was it. That was the and, and I always thought that's uh, I, I could argue that it didn't quite work all that well. I think it works probably best in Rainbow Bridge where there is sort of a musical accompaniment to the scene where they're driving out into China. But I mean, all credit to Larry Gelbart for uh, trying something new, especially at this point in the show's history where it was in its third season. It was a massive hit. And of course, I'm sure the the um, instinct and the pressure was to just keep doing the same thing over and over again because we know people like it. But he was trying something different and it didn't quite work. And so after this, uh, Captain Spaulding never is was never to return. He's never mentioned again. Uh, so it's almost like uh, he's like a spirit checker character where the character was just sort of erased from history as if he never appeared uh, at, at the forest of itself. He's just gone and he never comes up again. But it's it's nice to see him one last time. Yeah. And, you know, MASH was was sort of innovative at the time for doing these experiments when, you know, the pressure is just do the formula. You know, and they would do those. They did that episode in real time. They did black and white episodes. Mm-hmm. They did mm-hmm. dreams. They did the point of uh, point of view episode. So, you know, not everything's going to work uh, over 11 seasons, but it's good that they're, they were trying. Yeah, I do like when he starts singing the song and initially even Frank is kind of liking it. You see, he's kind of like bopping his head like he's humming along because it, it starts off as a kind of, you know, uh, anodyne 
song about MacArthur, and then it turns political. And you could just see, you know, both Frank and Henry are like, oh, yeah, no, 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 this is <laughs> this not going to work. So I like that he sort of tries and pulls out the rug from under him. Um, and speaking of political, there's a great scene where we have Frank Burns burning books. Uh, and um, Hawkeye gets to use one of his favorite insults where he calls him any, and he says, any reason you're burning books, Dr. Hitler? Uh, and uh, they go through this whole uh, bit about what books Frank is burning. And it's like a, the life of Red Grange, which I can't even imagine like what's offensive <laughs> about that. Robinson Crusoe, and everyone runs around half naked. And then there lead there, it leads to this, uh, the great uh, button on the scene is the thing with Norman Mailer, uh, right. who wrote The Naked and the Dead. And the funny thing about The Naked and the, I've never read Naked and the Dead, supposedly has a, you know, the F word in it, but we can talk about that in a moment. But it's sort of funny is that Norman Mailer became a lot more famous later uh, in the 60s and the 70s and even into the 80s. So even though historically the reference is correct, it still seems discordant to me that you're mentioning someone who I was like back then, I was like, was Norman Mailer famous back then? Uh, he was, but it just seems weird because he became so much more famous later. Right. Norman Mailer, I think people think of him from the 60s and the 70s. Right. Uh, he was all over television, and and I'm not sure if well maybe the doctors at at Mash would know, but I don't think the average person, the average uh, soldier, would know who Norman Mailer was in 1950. Right uh, now, you want do you want to talk about what that word is? There's oh, the scene of what's 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 it's got that word in it. Yeah. Now I haven't read Naked and the Dead either, but um, it is apparently it's one of the great books about World War II and Mailer's own experiences as an army cook. And the word is the dreaded, he originally wanted to put in the dreaded F word, um, but the publisher thought the American public could not handle that. Um, <laughs> and so in, they used the word fug, F-U-G. Um, and so, like Battlestar Galactica or something, frack right. or whatever. So that's what Frank didn't want MacArthur to see. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> it's like, oh, geez. Speaking of unusual words in the scene with Klinger where Henry is telling Klinger, uh, you know, you can't, I, I can't let you, you know, meet General MacArthur. He refers to MacArthur as his nibs. And that word completely blew by me. I did, in fact, I think for as many times as I've seen this episode, I don't think I even registered that's what Henry was saying until I rewatched this episode for, for this. And I saw it on the subtitles and I had no idea what that meant. What does nibs mean? And I know that you know what it is, Chuck. So please explain what what well, I had what to look it up myself. Means. Yeah, I, I, I had never heard that word before. I thought he had said nips. I thought he was sort of like referring to the Japanese. But nibs is apparently a 19th century British slang for a self-important person. Amazing. Now that is that's pretty obscure. That right? is obscure. <laughs> Yeah, that is that is really obscure. That's I, again. I, I'm I'm so glad that you're here to to school me on these things because I was like, I have no idea what those, I could have looked it up myself, but I was just like, what is he? His nibs? What is he referring to? So how did Henry know that word? I don't. Know. Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah. And so after that, after the scene with with Klinger, we have a scene in back in surgery, and this is where um, the plot line sort of with Hawkeye and Trapper, who don't have a whole lot to do in this episode, uh, starts developing because we find out that. They can't even get Corman in here to get an X-ray because they're all busy cleaning, uh, cleaning the, the the camp, and that is that drives Hawkeye insane because he's like, wait a minute, are we running a hospital or a hotel here? And because it's like, who's assigning that? You think maybe it's Henry, but I'm betting it's Frank. 
that he's assigning medical personnel to handle stuff with, with uh, MacArthur when, of course, there's, you know, there, there's soldiers to attend to. And that's where your Hawkeye go, Hawkeye and Trapper go from uh, mild bemusement and uh, dismissing it to absolute disgust about all that. Oh, that's right. That's right. This is this is not, you know, MacArthur, if he's coming to the front, he might as well see what they're actually doing. Right. Um, and it's not this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, speaking of disgust, uh, we have another scene, as I mentioned, where Frank and Margaret go see the VIP tent and Radar did do an amazing job. Uh, he managed to print up these signs in red, white and blue. I don't know how he did it. I guess he hand painted them or something. It's not like there's a, a printer at the 477. But uh, he really did a nice job with this red, white, and blue bunning. He has this huge photo of MacArthur. And then in a tiny photo to the right is a photo of Harry Truman. And even Frank, who is Mr. Patriotism, nevertheless mocks the president. Uh, and we have to assume that's because Harry Truman was a Democrat. And when, it, when he talks about that the, the Truman's picture is so much smaller – Frank sort of chortles, oh, that's about the size of it. And it's like, oh, Frank, just Frank being Frank. That's right. And Margaret treats the room with such reverence. It's oh. like they're in a museum. Let's be quiet in here and just gaze at this tent, which they've probably seen, you know, every day of their lives in MASH. But Yeah. it's a, And it gets, it's a, it's a pretty hot and heavy scene, actually, because uh, we, again, we see them when they're alone about what it is they see in each other. And, and to borrow a line from another episode where Hawkeye says, thank God they don't see it in anyone else. But <laughs> we, it's, it's a fairly dirty scene. And even as I, when I was a kid and I watched the show, I don't think I fully got it that Margaret at some point has transferred her sexual energy from realizing Frank is there to it's MacArthur. She is totally fantasizing that she's having sex with Douglas MacArthur. And that's not something as like a 10 year old, I fully understood. And then later on I went, Oh, ugh. <laughs> oh and MacArthur was in his early seventies at the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Margaret, 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 Margaret. Uh, by the way, there is a historical mistake. She mentions that uh, her father served with MacArthur uh, in the Philippines against the Hucks, which uh, is not accurate. MacArthur was not there. He was in Japan. As you mentioned, uh, he was basically running Japan, post-war Japan at that point. So Margaret, they either just didn't bother to do the research or Margaret's just making it up or Margaret's father made the story up and, you know, they just took it as, as, a, as gospel. Uh, and then so then later on after that, we have Hawkeye taking a group picture where he has everybody move three steps to the left and then a few steps to the right. Uh, and he's there in his robe. And then they do the, the mock drill with radar playing playing MacArthur. And you mentioned that MacArthur had a very distinctive look. And I think that has something to do with why he managed to embed himself so much in popular culture, because he had a look that people, I mean, there's an, in the season one episode, uh, the, Oh no, season two, excuse me, the sniper, uh, where we find out that the sniper believed that this was MacArthur's headquarters. In fact, it's funny. He wasn't that far off, really. If he just waited a year, he would have found out. <laughs> um, but they decide to say, well, let's let's give him a MacArthur to show him. And all they do is shove a corncob pipe and put a hat and some sunglasses on a sleeping Major Burns. And he even looks a little like MacArthur at that point. That's how identifiable his accoutrement was. So, I mean, I like that it's that they, they give Radar a corncob pipe for no good reason. I mean, they could just have him playing MacArthur, but it's it's part of the he's cosplaying it. No, that's right. And MacArthur, apparently, according to this documentary I, I mentioned earlier, he knew what he was doing. You know, he, he was sort of a very, I don't want to say flamboyant, but he knew, like, the power of his personality. And, and he created that look. And he, you know, maintained that for, for decades. 
So yeah. he, he was a good salesman at promoting himself. Absolutely. So Klinger pipes in again, this time dressed as a geisha girl. Uh, and he tried, he kisses, uh, he kisses MacArthur's pipe and he gets dragged away. Of course, he, he, he's given a, you know, he, he ruins any chance he might have. And then there's this line where the fake MacArthur is meeting everybody. He gets handed the souvenir album and we reveal, we see that in the souvenir album are some filthy pictures. And Frank even says, how'd that get in there? And Hawkeye says, no lock on the latrine door. And I love that, that, uh, that, uh, I mean, I guess since this is the rehearsal, but I love that Frank didn't even bother to look in the book before he hands it to MacArthur. Like, yeah, I think I'd give it one last look before I hand this over to General Douglas MacArthur. That's right. Shock him. Yeah. Uh, so, and then of course, in the middle of this argument, the voice comes over the PA and they announce that MacArthur will be here in seconds. Obviously he's early and everybody starts panicking. And I love the fact that at no point is it commented by anybody that Hawkeye is still in his purple robe. He's right. going to, he's going to meet, presumably meet MacArthur in his purple robe and Raynor is going to meet MacArthur dressed as MacArthur, which <laughs> I would think might be kind of strange. Of course, it isn't a problem because as I mentioned, MacArthur doesn't actually stop. He just does a drive by. Uh, he just salutes them all and that's it. And the, the box of chocolates that Frank is carrying, he drops on the ground. And again, he, he pays very little attention to what's actually happening here with our, with our heroes. In fact, the, uh, the welcome sign falls behind him as the Jeep crosses over. So the whole thing is just sort of a disaster, but MacArthur doesn't even take any notice of it. He just does a salute and that's it. And then of course, when he sees Klinger dressed as the uh, Statue of Liberty, complete with working torch, which is, an, <laughs> which is an amazing bit of uh, of skullduggery on on Klinger's part, that he put that outfit together so quickly. We just saw him a couple of minutes ago That's dressed right. as the geisha girl, and yet here he is. He managed to find himself. Um, I love that MacArthur actually we see takes like takes the maps out of his hand and actually takes the pipe out of his mouth and does like a full salute to Klinger. Like he gives a clinger more of a salute than he does than he gives to to Henry and the rest of the camp. So he really respects that that image of freedom, which is the Statue of Liberty. Well, that's right. He was he was basically looking through his notes and his papers. He barely <laughs> looked up when he was going through the camp itself. But and the only thing that he if he would ever remember anything about the four hundred seven seven was clinger and the Statue of Liberty get up. Yeah, it's fantastic. And in and uh, like I said with the other clinger scene. Um, this is where my episode always ends. The syndicated version ends with that bit of Klinger uh, at the Statue of Liberty. But the, the full episode on the DVDs and whatnot has one more scene, and it features the song again by Loudon Wainwright, where he starts singing about, yeah, Big Mac is coming. And that's the episode. And it's all just this big camera pan back of everybody looking off into the distance of kind of like, was that it? Is that is that the whole thing? And Henry, poor Henry looks dejected mm. and everybody just sort of wanders off and they're just kind of like, oh, okay, I guess that was it. And it's, a, you know, it's an unfortunate kind of kick in the pants to our heroes that they don't get the proper, <laughs> the proper uh, salute, no pun intended, the, the, the way they should, because yeah, yeah, it's uh, MacArthur doesn't bother to give them uh, much time. Now, one weird bit of trivia with this episode is who's the actor that plays MacArthur? He is uncredited, and to this day, he's uncredited in the episode. He's uncredited on IMDb, and to this day, he is still uncredited. No one seems to know who played uh, General MacArthur. Now, on IMDb, someone states in the trivia that it's Robert Mitchum. Now, I know it is not Robert Mitchum. The way I know that is because I have working eyes that can discern shapes and colors. It is not Robert Mitchum. Anyone can look at him and see that's not Robert Mitchum. 
Uh, I think maybe because Mitchum so famously starred in the Winds of War as a sort of MacArthur-like figure that maybe people assume that that's who it was, but it's so clearly not Robert Mitchum. No, no, MASH wouldn't. MASH really didn't go in for that stunt casting where they no. would bring in big movie stars, and even if it was like an inside joke, if you if, if you get Robert Mitchum to dress up as MacArthur, you're going to let the audience get a look at him. Yeah, he and was still a ruined. huge star at that point, right? And it would have ruined it because it would you'd be saying, "Well, that's not MacArthur; that's Robert Mitchum." It's it's better yeah. to keep him anonymous, I guess. Yeah, it's just it's to me, it's crazy that you, anyone thinks that you could just look right at him. You're like, "That's not Robert <laughs> Mitchum. This is clearly not Robert Mitchum." So, uh, again, even though you know some of the Mash people are still around, it seems to be a mystery, loss of the ages about who that actor is. So, there's some guy out there. Maybe he's still with us. Maybe not. But he was like, "Oh yeah, I played MacArthur on Mash," and he never gets. <laughs> Never gets a line. So uh, altogether, I think this is really one of the funniest shows. It's a great season three episode. Again, I love that it's one central story and all the characters are reacting to it. It's a shame Father Mulcahy doesn't make an appearance in it. But otherwise, I think it's just a terrific episode. Very, very funny with some nice pointed commentary about how, you know, the, the work that everyone is there to do, which is take care of the patients, can get sidetracked for you know, for, for, for pomp and circumstance, which is not what it's supposed to be about. So it's got a slightly serious message, me a very, very silly kind of very goofy premise, but it's, it's just altogether to me a great episode. Yeah, it really is. And it's, it's really like a good, I know you have a few more episodes in season three to go, but this is really a good episode that represents that Henry Blake Trapper John era, I think. Yeah, it is. It really is a terrific episode. So do you have a favorite Joker line from this episode? Oh, uh, you know, I, I guess, my favorite line is where they're talking about Norman Mailer's book, mm-hmm. uh, because I've shown that clip um, in class. I talk about MASH occasionally in my TV, well, always in my TV history class, but I have shown certain clips and that's that's in there. So I, I, I do like that one. And it captures Frank's personality. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah. I mean, get burning books for Pete's sakes. I get Trapper's <gasps> Trapper's mock uh, shock is just is just fantastic. Uh, my favorite uh, line is during actually the, the scene in the, the mess tent with Colonel Whiteman. And after they go through the routine of that we're going to walk, he's going to meet in three or great officers, and then he's going to go here. And then he goes, and now lunch. And Hawkeye, Trapper, and Henry get up because they think it's lunchtime. <laughs> and, and Whiteman means, no, we're going to talk about lunch. And it's just a physical gag, and I just laugh at it every time. That It's just the, the, the miscommunication of the way that Whiteman introduces something so trivial and makes it sound like it's 10 hut we just and now lunch and they just rolling like, what, what? i just chuckle at it every time the mash didn't do a whole ton of physical comedy especially in later seasons but i just i love this it makes me it just makes me chuckle every time so so yeah it's just a, it's a great great episode and again it's something that only could have been done it's you know it's a mash specific plot uh i mean it's essentially when you think about it it's it's a mash version of one of the hoariest cliches in television, which is the boss is coming to dinner. Right. That's really what it is. It's the big boss is coming to dinner. We got to make sure everything works right. And of course, in every TV show where the boss is coming to dinner, everything collapses, uh, whether the food is bad or the kids are rotten or something. But that's essentially MASH's version of, the, of that old plot. Well, you know, you're right. Now that you mention it, you know, you could definitely do this where Hitler is coming to Hogan's Heroes <laughs> or, or Eisenhower and Sergeant Bilko. You could, you could do that. But it yeah. would be <laughs> yeah. better that they didn't. Yeah. And like I said, I did mention that uh, at the top of the show that later on, MacArthur, when he was fired by Truman, that does factor into an episode in season four. They literally talk about it. And they even show a clip of MacArthur's uh, farewell speech that he gave, I believe, in New York. 
uh, talking about, you know, he thanks the warm welcome that he got. So this is something that would continue on through MASH and they would, as much as MASH's timeline was goofy, uh, they, you know, they, at least they do track it in that. Yes. Okay. MacArthur's in charge here. And then in shortly thereafter, he will be fired by, by Truman. So I mean, well, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and let me just mention one other quick thing for historical sake. Um, after Truman fired MacArthur, uh, MacArthur spoke at a joint session of Congress. Um, wow. uh, and that's where he gave this famous line about old soldiers never die. They just fade away. Wow. That, I wonder, he wonder if he wrote that. I mean, that line is part of the culture. That's amazing. Jeez, that's, that's remarkable. So, yeah, overall, like you said, Big Mac, it's just a superb episode. It's one of the things that makes me love season three so much is just because it's just so solid a premise and just perfectly executed. So, uh, I think that's going to do it for, for Big Mac. So, Chuck, thank you once again for coming by on uh, MASHcast. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, okay, before I get to the plugs, I have to pull back the curtain or pull back the tent flap, let's say, a little bit and reveal something that went on. Now, uh, the reason that I promoted Chuck to general, I think he was captain last time. The reason I immediately left him over major and colonel over to general is as a way in my, my, my humble way of, of thanking him because this episode that you're listening to right now is our second full attempt at recording this show. Chuck and I did this episode a couple of days earlier, and because of a hiccup with one of the programs that I use, the audio was not usable. And uh, I almost cried uh, because there's something very, very powerful to any podcaster out there listening probably has experienced this. And if you haven't, good on you, uh, is that occasionally something will happen where you will lose either some of an audio or part of an audio or, in worst case, all of the audio. An entire episode will be rendered useless. And I just felt crushed that this show Chuck and I did. Uh, was completely unusable. And I got to say, I wrote to Chuck immediately. I'm going to embarrass you a little bit, Chuck. You have to sit oh. here and tolerate it. I wrote to Chuck immediately and said, I'm really sorry, but because of this technical problem, we have to do it all over again. And uncomplainingly, Chuck said, absolutely, we'll do it again. And here we are a couple of days later doing it a second time. So, Chuck, thank you so much for putting up with my ineptness. Oh, no, don't, don't, no, don't, don't, don't whip yourself over it. I, I'm a teacher. I repeat myself all the time. I've given the same lecture multiple times on one day. So if you want to do this again in a couple of days, let me know. We'll talk about it. <laughs> maybe if you're listening to this, everybody, maybe we've done take three. I, I God, I hope not. But, uh, but again, thank you so much. I, I said, I, 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 you've been, you've appeared on multiple shows across the network. You've been on FW Presents. You've been on Film and Water. You've been on Treasury Cast. You've been on MASHcast. So we've got to get you on some of the other shows as well, just to fill out your fire and water bingo card. But again, thank Anytime. you very much. So thank why you. don't you, no problem. So why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Uh, you, uh, people can find me uh, at uh, Dr. Pop Culture BG, where I promote what we're doing at the Department of Popular Culture and the Brown Popular Culture Library at the uh, Bowling Green State University campus in Ohio. So come on by and get a lot of pop culture trivia. There sure is a lot of – yeah, you, you tweet out a lot, so there's a lot of great content over there. And so someday uh, I want to come visit Bowling Green State University when we're not living in a pandemic. I want to come over and I want to attend one of your lectures one day. I, I promise I'll be quiet. Jamie Farr actually came and spoke at a sitcom conference we had back in the 90s. So, that's so uh, cool. <laughs> so awesome. So anyway, that's fantastic. So, of course, if you want to follow this show, all the back episodes are on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And we're always stuck in MASH on Twitter at MASH477Cast. And then finally, if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, 
You go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you're going to unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big salute to Nicholas Prom, Russell Burbage, Stan Peel, Dolph DeVries, and for the month of August, Tim Price for their support of MASHCast. We really do appreciate it. So that's going to do it for this episode. And until next week, that is all. reason, Dr. Hitler? One of the greatest living Americans is coming, and I'm not going to let him see some of the trash that's read around here. Plato's Republic? The life of Red Grange? Revolutionaries. Right. Robinson Crusoe? Everybody runs around half naked. Norman Mailer. It's got that word in it. (gasps)